Innovation Groove, dropping the needle into the innovation story. top 10 for me all time and it's funny it's a song that uh one of my college mates from fisk she got me hip to it a few years ago uh, i've been listening to so many other things but that particular song i've just really kind of fallen in love with and the way it sounds on this record uh live stomping at the savoy is just one of the best records you could own sound wise it'll blow you away so that's stay by shaka khan and rufus uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the value chain. I, I chose this song not because Stay has anything to do with the value chain, but because it's one of my favorite topics and I just wanted to use one of my favorite songs. Uh, so the value chain for strategic management. This was another piece that was created, theoretically really created by Michael Porter at Harvard Business School, who was responsible for the diamond, the five forces, uh, and now the value chain, all three of which I've, I've touched on. Uh, in one episode or another in this podcast. But um, but today I'm really, I'm using as my notes, uh, a quote unquote, the note on value chain by Robert Kennedy from the Univer- University of Michigan. Um, strategic management is fundamentally about sustainable competitive advantage, how to gain that and how to measure whether you even have it. Uh, the, I've said that over and over. It's a, it's a mantra really that goes from episode to episode. And you can think the whole goal of this of strategic management, its direction, what gives it its force, uh, is really the search for competitive, for sustainable competitive advantage. The value chain is what you have to know so that you can actually define what competitive advantage is in the first place. So this sits really at the heart of it. I tell my students, even sometimes on day one, that once you get to the point where you understand the value chain, you're really in a position now to start talking about strategic management. Right, that this really is your litmus test. So I, I anticipate this this will be a very core core uh, episode uh, in this podcast series today. So what is the value chain? Right, I, I want to give you three t- three talking points, and then at the end I'll give you a challenge. So as, as far as uh, talking points, the value chain is a bucket of interrelated activities perfor- performed by your firm, your company. Okay, it's really we're talking about the activities and that's the level we really need to get this on. Some people call a value chain analysis an activities analysis or an activity based analysis. Right. So the value chain buckets of interrelated activities. And we'll talk about what these different buckets are and which ones you should prioritize. Um, The competitive advantage happens here because once we get clear about what the different types of activities are, that your, that, you, that your firm is involved with, and some activities every firm has, then the question becomes, are you getting more value out of right, the way you do a particular kind of activity relative to your competitors? This is why you have to get, for, to, to, to understand and to articulate competitive advantage, you have to get down to the activities level because it's the relative value Right, the relative contribution of the same activity performed differently in two different firms, 
right? That that's really where we're going to uh, measure out and articulate and build the story for competitive advantage, okay? Which is really about one firm relative to another. So the value chain, buckets of interrelated activities, competitive advantage, right? Has to be measured out and articulated ultimately at the activities level, okay? Uh, and then the third talking point really is cost, that, that, that there's a generic strategy, right? That on a certain level, uh, leaders have to manage their activities within their firm to, uh, to, to make good on an overall integrated idea. And that idea is, is either we, within our industry, we want to be the low-cost provider, right? The cost leader within our, within our, within our industry. Think of a, a, a Costco or a Walmart, right? We want to be the low-cost provider. We want to lead in cost savings and having low-cost operations. Or the other option would be product differentiation, right? Within our industry, we want to be the product differentiation. We want to put out products and services that really are at the highest performance levels, that offer the widest range of, uh, of uh, options for our end users. Uh, so, these, so these are two what we would call generic strategies that have to be represented fairly uh, consistently, right, and provide and provides uh, a way to organize uh, not just whether you're getting value out of your individual buckets of activities, but making clear how you're supposed to go about doing that, right? whether we should be aiming for a given activity, right? whether we should be aiming to have the lowest cost version of that activity right? relative to our competitors, or if we want the highest quality right? and the highest performance out of that activity. These, these, these will affect things in a very different way. And, and ultimately what they will affect is the margin, <laughs> what, you'll also, what you'll actually be able to uh, uh, extract, the margin you'll be able to extract from your buyer, okay? Uh, so those are, the three, those are the three talking points that we'll, talk, we'll, we'll go through. Uh, and I'll come back to those at the end. And once again, I'll have a challenge for you too. So, uh, so let's talk about just the composition of the value chain. If, 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 if this were graphic, if I were able to show you a video, usually it's a kind of an arrow-shaped, uh, like a big fat arrow-shaped graphic. Uh, but, but, we'll talk, uh, but what I'll do here is I'll say, okay, so let's talk about a bucket of activities. Right? Your firm is made up of a bunch of these. Right. There could be a bucket of activities that's that's the things you do in uh, HR. Right. There's a set of activities you do there. Your those activities are related to hire, recruiting and hiring people. Those activities could be related to onboarding and orientation. They could be related to uh, benefits. They could be related to performance reviews. Right. Things that are happening while you're already there. And of course, they can be related to exiting or how people leave your firm. Right? So there's lots of different types of activities that you will do there, uh, like a recruiting activity, how you actually interact with the local colleges. That's a series of activities right there. Right? So we could granularize this uh, and think about that. So, so, so HR would be a bucket of activities right? that has a diverse set of things happening underneath it. Uh, technological infrastructure would be another example of, of a, 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 you know, a bucket of activities that are related to, you know, um, the enterprise software system that you might use there, right? Um, and uh, whatever, you know, whatever technologies and platforms are uh, that you make available to uh, enable work and to account for work being done, 
right? So a technological infrastructure could be another. And that could have an IT department. It probably will. It could have a training department underneath it. Once again, there's lots of different things. We can unpack that and lots of different things going on and lots of different people with uh, different jobs happening underneath that. But the overall umbrella might be technological infrastructure. So HR and technological infrastructure. Uh, but there's also things that uh, you probably think more of when you think about uh, activities happening within a business, like, say, manufacturing. Right? Manufacturing clearly is something uh, that's going to happen. You've got you've to figure out a way to, 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 to make uh, whatever your product or service is. So there's going to be, uh, there could be a variety of processes involved in that, right? including research and development. So, so we would think about maybe operations and manufacturing, that that would be a whole set of uh, activities. What about marketing and sales? Right. Once again, when mostly I, I bet when the audience is thinking about activities, right, there's plenty of things. How are you, uh, how are you acquiring your customers and what processes are involved with it? How do you reach out? How do you, uh, how do you identify customers, right? What sorts of promotions are you going to put out there to drag them in? Or what are your push strategies versus your pull strategies? How do you engage the customers once you kind of got their attention? How are you getting their attention, <laughs> right? Think about all the social media and all that, AdWords and all these sorts of things, right? So there's lots and lots of things happening underneath marketing and sales, inbound and outbound logistics. So, you, you, you know, you're bringing in raw materials that you're going to manufacture, but you also have to get things out of your warehouse, <laughs> you know, things you've manufactured out of your warehouse and off to the uh, distributor or to the retailer. Uh, so there's clearly lots of things going on under uh, logistics, both inbound and outbound. And uh, customer service. And customer service, frankly, is becoming one of the more, it's becoming more important than it has been in the past because customer service really is involved with, at least as we think about it in strategy, uh, the, the, the activities after the point of sale. So it isn't just that, you know, somebody who's thinking about buying a TV from Best Buy calls them up and asks to get clearer on the specifications, right? That would still be more or less a marketing and sales engagement, right? But once they pay for it and you think about, you think about, um, uh, Phone calls that are like, okay, I bought this television. Now, how do I use it? Like, how do I program or record a program? That's a different kind of phone call. Um, repair. That would be a different kind of uh, set of activities. What happens underneath warranty, whether there's warranty or not, these sorts of things. So customer service, how we're engaging the customer uh, and making ourselves available to the customer after the point of sale. This is something that's becoming very, very important. And traditionally, I mean, if you think about HR and technological infrastructure versus things like operations, marketing and sales, customer service, uh, traditionally, your operations, your marketing and sales, these activities are going to give probably the largest contribution to the margin, right? Whatever you're able to, uh, to extract from, uh, from, from a buyer. You know, so for example, if a dollar's worth of materials comes into your into your company, which means it's coming into your value chain, these are the activities you do to add value to those raw materials or to those uh, uh, components. If a dollar's worth comes in and then you're able to sell it, whatever it is after you you finish yours, we are able to sell it to the next person for two dollars. That means your company created a dollar's worth of value from its activities. That's that's really what it means to be the value chain. Um, and one of the things that we think about in value chain analysis is, so which, which activities are more responsible for large chunks of that dollar that was created? In operations and marketing and sales, I would say traditionally, these are the really big chunks. 
you know, and Amazon, a UPS, a FedEx, they're, they're clearly figuring out lots of ways to drive up big chunks of value in inbound and outbound logistics. Uh, that's for sure. Okay. And, um, 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 and then you'll get firms like, uh, uh, let's say, uh, a, a Nordstrom or um, you'll get, uh, or Amazon nowadays, or I just was reading about L.L. Bean, right? That, you know, unlimited lifetime returns kind of deal, right? That they're able to generate a lot of value for their customers because, uh, and their customers are willing to pay a little bit more in some cases, because the customer service happens to be exceptional, right? They have a competitive advantage on those activities, right? So if we think about that, so there, so if the, so usually the, the, the largest chunks are created in inbound logistics, operations and, uh, operations and manufacturing, outbound logistics, marketing and sales, customer service. We would kind of call those primary activities. We call those buckets primary activities. And those are really activities that you're, you're doing directly, right, directly to the product or service that, uh, that you're going to sell, right? And so, so, so when one is looking for competitive advantage, you're probably going to spend your time looking and trying to find a way to measure relative within those five boxes, inbound and outbound logistics, manufacturing and operations, marketing and sales and customer service. But we did talk about HR. We did talk about technological infrastructure, right? And so those would be, we generally call those secondary because those are more overhead oriented, uh, that you're not going to have a separate HR department for each of your inbound and outbound logistics or marketing and sales. You're going to have one for the entire firm, right? And so they're, you know, it's a more centralized function, technological infrastructure. Once again, sure, there may be very specific technologies that are involved in a manu- in a specialized manufacturing process. We would account for that really under operations and manufacturing in a primary activities bucket. But if you're just talking about the enterprise related, like making sure that there's certain information that's shared uh, throughout the company, that's not specific to the product and service, and so that would that would be more of a secondary. And and one of uh, one of the important reasons to call it secondary: HR, technological infrastructure, procurement would be up there. The reason why we want to call that secondary is odds are these are explaining smaller chunks of whatever uh, margin was created right um, within your firm. Right? If you think about that, once again, a dollar's worth of um, raw materials coming in and you're able to sell it for two, that gives you a dollar's worth of value added. HR, technological infrastructure, these are probably nickels and dimes. Operations and manufacturing, you know, these are like quarters and 50 cent pieces, right? These are larger chunks, okay? Uh, and once again, that be that's relevant when you're doing an analysis because if you want to explain where, where we have to get here, which is you're trying to figure out with your own firm, on a relative value level, are you getting more margin contribution, those nickels and dimes or those quarters of 50 cent pieces? Are you getting more margin contribution from your bucket of activities than your competitors? Does your manufacturing process give you 55 uh, cents on the dollar? And for the most part, your competitor is only getting 45 cents on the dollar from their manufacturing process. That means you have a relative adva- a relative adva- advantage, right? A competitive advantage as it relates to your manufacturing process. That's exactly how we would measure that. Okay? 
so you have to know quite a bit about, you know, the, the manufacturing process itself. But the way we would make the argument that you have the competitive advantage is because your activity, that your specific activities related to manufacturing are contributing more to your margin than your competitors are. That's competitive advantage, really in a nutshell. Okay, and so then we get into the question, so what is it that we're doing that they're not doing and vice versa, okay? Um, and some of that you'll know and it's relatively public, some of it you won't. Uh, so let's be, you know, when we're talking about the inside of firms, we're also making gambles or making bets. So we have to do some sort of competitive intelligence to really kind of understand what's happening in other firms too, right? So there's a lot of work involved with this, but when it comes down to it, that's what we're looking to know, right? Do our activities give us a competitive advantage uh, contribute more to the margin, to our margin, than the same activities done and really probably done differently in one of our rival firms. Okay. Um, so value chain buckets of interrelated activities. We have some that are primary, that are more likely to, to, to contribute quarters and 50 cent pieces to our margin. We have those that are secondary and they're probably contributing nickels and dimes. Right. Competitive advantage then is probably hanging out on the primary level. That's probably where we'd want to put our energy uh, in, a, in, in, a, in a value chain analysis. OK. Um, and now, the, the third talking point was about this idea of a generic strategy uh, and that uh, cost leadership and, and the generic strategies are two. And we're generally choosing between cost leadership or product differentiation. And one generally doesn't want to try to pull out both at the same time. Right, getting stuck in the middle here. So cost leadership, for example. Uh, so if your overall, I'll call it a philosophy, if the overall philosophy, right, the leadership that you're showing is to say, we want a value chain that allows us to still get our margin. You know, we still want to get our margin, uh, maximize our margin. But the way that we want to do that is by keeping our activity, the cost of our activities lower than our rivals. Lower than, one, lower than the norms probably, or the average in the industry, but also lower specifically than our rivals, right? So we want to be cost leaders, right? So we still want our margin, right? But we want to get our margin by making sure that we're not eating margin by having high cost activities. And then if, and if that's the way you look at it, then the way that you organize those activities is going to be different than, say, on the flip side, somebody who's a product differentiation philosophy, who says, no, we, we want to ultimately achieve our margin, right? And in a certain sense, by being able to charge more, right? It was, we're put, it's an upward pressure on the price because we're giving a higher performing, right? A higher performing product or service, right? And so you can imagine in manufacturing, if you're, manu if you're setting up your manufacturing on a cost leadership level, you're probably going to want to standardize almost everything. And you're probably not going to build in a lot of flexibility on it, right? We, we want to give whoever our customer is, you know, maybe about 60, 60% of what they're looking for. Ultimately, we probably got a sense on what they absolutely have to have. And we're not, and we're going to keep it to that. Now, you even can think of it as if you're, if you're on the, say the cereal aisle, right? And there's like the Weedios or something like that, right? That you're looking at just the basics. It's got to be circular. It's got a hole in it. And there's got to be some oats or some wheat involved with this. We want to give you that, but we're not going to throw all these crazy flavors. We're not going to do these big ad campaigns that cost a whole lot of money. We're not going to try to make this a unique thing. It's just basically a big plastic bag full of circular, uh, uh, circular 
wheat or oat-based cereal, okay? And you can see that. And then, and once again, you can see that from a, a store-wide kind of thing, if you like a Walmart, right? We're not going to, you know, sure, we might have greeters and things like that, but we're not going to, we're not going to lay this out. Think of the difference between a shopping experience at a Walmart versus going to um, a uh, something like a, a Nordstrom's. Think about that, right? Think about going to um, uh, even a Best Buy compared to actually going to the Apple store. Even if you're looking for the exact same product, the 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 money spent on the actual retor, re, retail experience is completely different, right? And then, of course, look at an Apple product versus products made by, you know, more generics, more, I'd say, you know, uh, cost leadership manufacturers. <laughs> I'll just say it like that, right? PC, mostly PCs that are, you know, an Apple product might be about $1,100, roughly the same kind of product, not built to the same quality. Um, and a generic can be as cheap as four or 500 bucks, right? They're really building to something different. And that's going to affect the way. Uh, and that one has to be consistent in your value chain with that philosophy. So if you're cost leadership, you better have, you, you better let that uh, determine how you organize your manufacturing process. It's going to affect what kind of raw materials you're going to bring in and, and even how you're going to bring them in. What's the cheapest way to do logistics about bringing things in and out? Your marketing and sales is probably going to be pretty basic, right? You're not going to spend a whole lot of money trying to acquire customers and you're probably not going to be very innovative in that. Your customer service afterwards might be a wiki. You know, hey, these are frequently asked questions. You're probably not going to have real people picking up the phone, right? These are the kinds of things that would be, that would be indicative of a product differentiation firm, right? Somebody who's, uh, and when they're thinking about manufacturing, they're building in a lot of flexibility. They want to be able to customize and maybe, maybe even co-create a little bit with their customers. That's expensive to do. <laughs> right, and that also means you probably can't do a whole lot of units per hour. Um, the raw materials—they're probably using the best in class, the best, the best uh, microprocessor, the most expensive glass, the best battery uh, technology that's available. Right, you know, the 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 cleanest, uh, the purest metals in their components. They're using platinum, or other people might be using copper. Right, it's a very Different when you're when when they're trying to score in the highest performance level, which means they're going at a certain part of the uh, uh, a certain kind of customer, right? The cost leadership customer probably isn't the same as the product differentiation customer either, right? But the all we're but the point here, I'm less I'm less interested in the uh, in the end user conversation, much more about how the structure. Coming back here to these activities, right? How the structure of the firm. Right, how they organize their fundamental and basic activities, right, is affected given what sort of um, generic strategy that they're trying to enact. That's the more important point because strategy, as I've said in other episodes, is fundamentally about structure, and it's it's not about the attributes of the end product, right? It's about the structure of the company. Right? How do you organize the com company such that it can produce a certain kind of end product? Right, But we don't want to spend too much time talking about the end product because that's really just a different course. We really are concerned about the structure of the company, not attributes of a product or service. Okay, So value chain, buckets of interrelated activities, some of which are primary, some of which are secondary, all of which are measured by how much value, how much contribution they make to the margin. 
uh, competitive advantage happens here, right? Does my manufacturing ultimately contribute more to uh, the margin than my competitors do, right? And, and of course, we want to know why that would be the case one way or another. Um, and then cost leadership versus product differentiation, the generic strategy. It's important that if you, that, that, that once you decide how you want to play on the generic level, how you want to play in your industry, like what position you want to take, it's important that you're consistent across your activities in enacting that generic philosophy, that generic strategy. Okay. Um, now, if I can leave you with a, with a challenge, I like to leave with a challenge here. Uh, think about the, the organizations you're involved with. Think about maybe your uh, your current firm. Think about the school where you where where, you, where you're located, uh, or the schools that you may have uh, graduated from. Uh, think about uh, social organizations or religious organizations. Just think about any organizations that you're operating with. And I want you to I want you to think what are the, what's the competitive advantage that we have? Like how do how would you try to articulate that? For, your, for any of your organizations. What is it on the activities level that you're doing or that that institution is doing better than its competitors? There is absolutely no requirement for competitive advantage that you do all of your activities better. Okay, there's no requirement for that, right? But you better be able to talk about some activities that you're doing better. And odds are, particularly from, a, uh, from an analysis standpoint, you'll also be able to figure out which activities you're doing worse than your, than your rivals. And that's important to know too, all right? Uh, and then ultimately your strategic uh, uh, choices, right, could be about bolstering those activities that you're doing better than everybody else in your, in your industry or shoring up those weaknesses, right, where you're falling behind your competitors, Right. Your activities aren't giving you back as much value as your competitors are. OK, so that would be my challenge Just think about how you think about that. Even just choose one. Just think of one thing that your university or your corporation. Right. Does or even your social organization does better than uh, than its rivals. It could be the rivals in your in your region or just rivals on a global level. Uh, and if you happen to be an entrepreneur listening to this, right, and I hope there are some, this value chain piece is incredibly important for you, <laughs> right? Because if there's a weakness that show that that tends to show in pitch competitions and things, is you you'd be surprised how thin an entrepreneur's competitive analysis could be. And one of the things that it shows their thinness is they don't know anything about this question of activities and activity contribution. And so if I were to ask them shark, shark tank style, how's the business you're proposing or the business that you started a year ago or whatever, what's its competitive advantage? They can't tell me specifically what activities they do better than the rest of the, their rivals in the market of maybe of like sized firms. And because they can't do that, it's hard for me to take them seriously. And I bet you it'd be hard for a lot of investors to do that too. And with that note and with that challenge, thank you once again for listening to this, this episode. And I'll turn you back to the full version of Shaka Khan's stay from the, stomping at the, from the live Stomping at the Silver Thank you for listening.
Innovation Groove, dropping the needle into the innovation story.